Coming up on today's show, the last show for 2021, we'll do our year-end interviews with the Leader of the Opposition, Rachel Notley, and with Premier Jason Kenney. What a year it's been in Alberta politics. We'll get their take. Also today, an update on COVID-19 and Omicron in Alberta. We'll hear from Dr. Dina Hinshaw and Health Minister Jason Copping. Well, 2021, of course, was the year that uh, we'd all hoped that COVID would be behind us. We'd be focused on recovery, rebound, even talked about the Roaring Twenties. Obviously, that hasn't happened exactly as we were hoping. Joining us now to take a look at what happened in 2021 and what we can look forward to in 2022 is the official opposition leader, Rachel Notley. Uh, Ms. Notley, thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate you joining us. I'm very pleased to be here. I'm sure like everybody else, you were th- approaching 2021 the same way. This will be the path to recovery, at least in some respect, we'll get back to something that resembles normal. Um, Mm -hmm. Were you feeling that optimism in January of 2021, just like everybody else? Well, I don't know that it was quite in January of 2021, but but certainly a little bit later on into into the year I was, as I saw the, the vaccines starting to roll out and people starting to really get access to them. I think I was like everybody, you know, really excited about what uh, the wide-scale availability of those vaccines meant for all of our ability to get sort of our lives back to normal. Um, and um, so, so yeah, I was I was cautiously optimistic, but I was also a little worried because, you know, we had a government that, that was pretty insistent on making thoughtless decisions, and, and I thought, you know, we were going to have to recover just a little bit harder and a little bit uh, farther than most people because we had to counter uh, some of the, the um, unfortunate decisions made by uh, the UCP leadership. Well, let's talk about the, the year and the decisions that were made and the road to recovery and, you know, where we stack up against other jurisdictions. How would you characterize um, 2021 vis-a-vis COVID in Alberta? Well, you know, even if you wanted to put a grade to the way our province has handled it. Well, I think, you know, to start off with, I think that our frontline healthcare workers, uh, you know, whether we're talking um, nurses, physicians, uh, other critical frontline healthcare providers, they've been heroes. They have been working so hard and uh, up against so many challenges. And, and for them, uh, A++. plus um, For the decisions that have been taken by our government, uh, I think it sort of started out with a D and it's slowly gotten worse. And the reason I would say that is because uh, their decisions are not being made on the basis of evidence and best practice. They seem to be made more and more on the basis of politics. And what's even worse is that they're not learning from their mistakes. They continuously make decisions on the basis of politics, and they continuously uh, uh, jeopardize uh, Albertans in the process, making Albertans pay for their mistakes. And it seems that the depth and breadth of those mistakes seem to get worse every every uh, wave of COVID. And so um, that's, that's, that's my view of, of, of what we've seen in Alberta. I don't think there's any other province where we've seen as, as politicized a decision-making regime as we do with uh, Jason Kenney and his UCP. I want to talk to you about the politics, because I think you're right, uh, in a minute or two here. But first of all, what would you have done differently? Like, let's go for the, take the fourth wave, which we know ended up being a disaster and the premiers admitted it was a disaster and they blew it. Mm-hmm. But when he yeah. made the announcement of best summer ever, we essentially had almost no COVID in the province of Alberta. Now, I always hear from listeners saying, you know what? Good thing it wasn't Notley. We'd be locked down for the last two years. I, I don't know how they know that. But how yeah. would you have handled this situation as we move from the third to nothing to the fourth? I mean, just your thought process. Right. Well, I know that the UCP tries to make that argument, and uh, it's quite ridiculous because there's really nothing that we've ever said that would suggest that. But, I mean, what we would have done, to be honest, is we we probably would not have, we would have, of course, opened uh, in the summer, as as every other province did, probably not quite as fast and not as extremely as, as this government did in Alberta. Uh, but for sure, we were keen to, to see more activities and more reopening, just like every Albertan was. Uh, we probably would have looked a little bit more like BC and Ontario in terms of the way we approached it, but we would have opened. The fundamental difference uh, between us and the UCP, though, was not the open for summer decision. It was how they reacted to the evidence that we now know they were presented three to four weeks later that said, this was too much, too fast, and we're heading in the wrong direction, and we're in trouble. Uh, because what happened was they ignored it. 
they went on vacation. The health minister went away for four weeks. The premier went to Europe. Uh, Nobody answered questions about COVID for about a month. And they didn't take serious action until about middle of September. And by then, the fourth wave had gotten away from us. And so that is the, the difference in terms of uh, what we would have done, we would have acted sooner. And very possibly, we wouldn't have even had to be as strict in terms of the actions taken if we'd cut it off at the past earlier. But this government, again, were so wrapped up in the politics of their best summer ever that they just couldn't deal with the politics of admitting they might have gotten it wrong. And so they ignored the evidence. And that's the difference. You mentioned the politics, and there's no question that the politics around this entire issue have uh, kind of surprised me. Um, the divisiveness, the toxic tone to it all. And it's not just Alberta. This goes well beyond our borders. But are you surprised by how divisive the whole subject of COVID has become? Well, I think, you know, I mean, I'm living in, um, in, in Alberta where, unfortunately, the premier himself has, from almost the very beginning of um, COVID, approached it differently than many other premiers in that he talks out of both sides of his mouth and he he, he um, uh, animates and supports uh, the views of those who don't like vaccinations, who uh, don't want to do their part to keep their neighbors safe. And so there's always a dual message. There's always a divided message, even in terms of what you hear from coming out of the, the lips of the of the premier. And, and then, of course, their caucus. Uh, has also been allowed to to uh, critique uh, the decisions taken by our public health officials. And so they're really fanning the flames of, of division far more than I think you see in other jurisdictions. Um, you know, you see much higher levels of support for political leadership in other jurisdictions um, because I think they have been more consistent and, and secure about the decisions they've taken, um, even though in some cases they've been harder decisions. Um, and, and, and so I think that's part of the problem. We have the least trusted premier in Canada. We have the least trusted premier in the history of the province. And I think that really um, enhances uh, and, and uh, as I say, animates and, and reinforces those who are taking pretty divisive positions on things. Uh, let me ask this question, and I don't know if it's a tough question or not. As far as your role goes, your official opposition, so it comes with, uh, you know, a certain position and a stance that, you know, that's how our system works. Um, mm-hmm. Your role in the divisiveness and the animosity and the politicization of this, do you, did you do something that you regret or something that you would like to do differently? Was there any role for the opposition to handle their role in how all of this unfolded in our province differently? Well, I think, uh, you know, what I would actually say is that um, I, I've, think that we have done something that's a bit unprecedented for any opposition, certainly in Alberta and many other uh, across other provinces, which is we've actually tried uh, very hard to be very propositional. We have a project called Alberta's Future. Uh, we started it uh, in terms of bringing Albertans together to, to talk about the path forward with respect to economic recovery. And we asked people to come to it and give us their ideas on a nonpartisan basis. And to some degree, in terms of the economic stuff, you know, we saw uh, the uh, UCP roll out a hydrogen plan that looked a lot like the one that we'd rolled out on Alberta's Future a year ago. The reason I mention that is when it comes to COVID, we've also used that platform to put out a whole bunch of ideas uh, for how we could handle um, uh, COVID differently. You know, proposals to keep our schools safer, proposals to to uh, um, get vaccines out the door more quickly, ways in which to to help promote. Uh, um, vaccine acceptance and other ways to better support our small businesses, to channel the the voices of those who've been through the open, close, open, close, open, close, and and talk to them about what would help them uh, through these cycles. So, you know, we would say, if people say, you, you know, you're only always ever opposing, we always say, check out Alberta's future, because we've probably got over more than 20 ideas a few of which actually the UCP did ultimately take us up on, um, maybe a bit later than we would have liked, but they did ultimately get there. So I think that's also the role for opposition, and I'm very proud of the, the amount of effort that we put into it and, and the amount of the quality of the recommendations that we've been able to make. 
Um, COVID aside, it looks like we're seeing some very optimistic figures, projections, uh, data coming in regarding the economics of Alberta. The recovery appears to be at least kicking off, especially in the oil and gas sector. Mm -hmm. Um, When you take a look at where we are on the road to recovery economically, how do you think Alberta is shaping up for where we are, you know, heading into January of 2021? Well, I mean, there's no question that, you know, we're all happy to see the bump in the international price of oil, and that is um, uh, bringing some much-needed money back into our coffers. Um, You know, I think as Albertans, we all also have to know, we all have understood this now, that we can't rely on it and and that it's a very sort of roller coastery kind of thing. And part of the problem with that then is that we haven't seen the kind of investments that create more long term um, uh, secure, uh, sustainable jobs uh, in the way that we used to. And, and so I think we still have some work going forward to do, but, but I certainly hope that we do see uh, more economic growth and recovery because we unfortunately led the country in, in our economic um, decline as a result of COVID. And so we have a lot of ground to make up. So it's good news we're starting to. We do, however, have to also focus pretty hard on the issue of affordability. Uh, we have to be careful that the recovery uh, does not end up um, really benefiting, you know, those who are already pretty comfortable uh, at the expense of the majority of Albertans who find it harder and harder to, to make ends meet at the end of each month. And we know that inflation is not something uh, that the pr- provincial government has complete control over. But there are certain things that the government has driven costs up on uh, considerably, insurance, utilities, uh, tuition, uh, personal income taxes, property taxes, things like that, all within the scope of the provincial government's decision-making realm. And so they can step in and support families and, and help them with the affordability challenges that we know they're all starting to be confronted with. Um Politically, this is uh, one of the more interesting jurisdictions on the planet, I think. And I'm sure you've been a very interested observer watching what's going on in the UCP party with the leadership debates and all the rest. And we know it's going to be a pivotal spring for that party. As opposition, what do you think about that? Do you prepare? Um, What sort of contingencies do you need to have in place depending on what happens this spring? Well, I think at this point, uh, our plan is to be uh, very, to offer Albertans a very different vision of how you respond to the circumstances that we are all in. And in this case, for instance, let's take, for example, the fact that we have a by-election in Fort McMurray. Um, You know, our uh, candidate, Arianna Mancini, a teacher who's lived there for over a decade, she got nominated the next day. She was out calling on the government to reverse their their cuts to the disaster recovery program. And then she was out on the doorsteps. The UCP's candidate turned around, left the riding and started campaigning to other UCP members about the ongoing drama within the UCP. And so I make this point simply to say that... uh, Albertans need to see at least a political party that's going to be focused on raising the issues um, that matter to Albertans, health care, affordability issues, job creation. The UCP is a party that was built for politics, not for government. And that's why we've seen them fail at government and be lost in politics uh, endlessly. Albertans need uh, leadership that can be focused on them and the challenges facing this province. Um, in all honesty, just be brutally honest with me here for a moment. Don't you want Brian Jean to win that by-election for the benefit of your party in the larger scheme of things? You know what? I uh, I, I think it's uh, one small decision point in a long list of decision points that are all about <laughs> the UCP and their drama. And, and uh, quite honestly, uh, our candidate is Ariana Mancini. And what I want is, I, I love the idea of Ariana getting up in the house, all, you know, four foot 11 of her, and, and calling on the government with great passion, integrity, and honesty to stand up finally for the people of Fort McMurray when it comes to disaster recovery, when it comes to the EMS consolidation, when it comes to their health care needs, when it comes to uh, 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 investing in, in uh, uh, the, the oil and gas sector. Those things are what the people of Fort McMurray need a voice on. They haven't, quite frankly, had a voice that's focused on them for very, very, very many years. 
And I would argue that the best thing for our party and the people of Fort McMurray and all Albertans would be for Ariana Mancini to win that by-election. Um, last one, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, what are you watching for 2022? How are you feeling heading into 2022? And uh, what's on your radar? Well, I think that the two most important things, uh, or maybe three, uh, and well, obviously, I guess just in the last week, everybody's suddenly been uh, refocused on COVID, I think, in a way that maybe we, we had hoped we wouldn't have had to be. So that's, of course, important. Yeah. But I would say that as well, we, we need to be laser focused on repairing the damage done to our healthcare system. And, and uh, we cannot let the UCP try to use the damage they've created as a means to Americanize the system and further attack it. Um, so that's going to be a huge focus for us. The other focus, as I've said, is affordability for regular families, helping make sure that they can make ends meet at the end of every month. Um, and and pushing the government to make the kind of changes that Alberta families need to see. And then finally, again, just the slow drumbeat of uh, trying to get that hard, heavy-lifting work of economic diversification uh, promoted more and more, uh, because that's what Alberta needs, and we need to be keeping... And the final thing I'll just say is we need to do everything we can to keep our young people here. Um, and there's a, a long conversation we could have just on that. But but too many people are leaving and too many people are talking about how they could never see themselves here. And that is bad news for us in the long run. And we need to reverse that trend. Uh, Ms. Notley, unfortunately, we are out of time. Thank you so much for doing this. And uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Yeah, you too. Merry Christmas to you and to and Happy New Year to you and all of your listeners. Thank you so much, Rachel. Appreciate it. And uh, truly, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. We'll talk in uh, 2022. You bet. You bet. Take care. Twenty twenty one, of course, coming to a close. Looking ahead to twenty twenty two. Delighted that Premier Jason Kenney could join us for a year in review interview as we wrap up twenty one and look ahead to twenty two. And Premier, thanks so much for doing this. I appreciate your time. Great to be here. Happy holidays and happy New Year, Shay. So twenty twenty one ending with this surging. Omicron wave. Uh, How concerned are you with this variant and what it could mean? Could it put the province back into a worst-case scenario in the next few weeks? Well, I'm very concerned. Uh, And yes, a worst-case scenario is possible, but it's not baked in. Uh, What we know about Omicron is it is highly transmissible. We see that all around the world, uh, reaching record numbers of new uh, cases. But we also know it's it's uh, much less severe than earlier versions of COVID-19 with a lower level of hospitalization and fatalities. The, the problem for us where we're at right now in Alberta is we don't yet know uh, um, whether the lower severity will make up for the much higher uh, case count and viral spread, by which I mean even if a, a tiny percentage of a huge number of active cases end up needing intensive care, that could end up challenging uh, our hospital capacity. Right now, we're fine. Uh, we have only about 50 people in ICU with COVID. Um, and I, I, uh, I'm hoping for the best, but we, of course, do have to prepare for the worst. Um, Premier, when you take a look at handling this and trying to mitigate the impact on the healthcare system, of course, it's not March of 2020. Things have changed in terms of vaccination and treatments. Mm-hmm. We've learned a lot. How does that inform the actions that you take around Omicron? Well, it's one of the reasons I, I don't think people should panic because things we are in a much better position. We have highly effective vaccines. Ninety percent of Alberta adults have got at least a first shot, 85 percent a second dose. And we're growing the third dose numbers uh, by the hour. Um, and the data is clear that, that while there can be breakthrough infections for people who have been vaccinated, while they, they almost always end up with Omicron with mild cold symptoms and, and, and very few vaccinated people with Omicron are showing up in hospital. Our concern, Shay, is much more around the 360,000 adult Albertans who don't yet have a first dose. They continue to be vulnerable to Omicron, to, to, to COVID-19. Um, you know, but overall, we're in a better position. We have better treatments. We've learned a lot about the disease, how it operates. And you know, th- this may not be uh, the, the, an immediate solution to Omicron, but certainly in the course of 2022, we're going to see some new drugs get approved and come online. 
line, which will better treat people who are in hospital. So I am, I think there are good reasons to be optimistic that we'll be able to largely put this behind us, get this to endemic status, kind of like the Spanish flu around 1920, but there's still some, uh, there's still some bumpy roads to travel between now and then. Yeah, and I know a lot of people are thinking we might be getting into that phase because of Omicron, so fingers crossed. Um, maybe, uh, but taking a look back at the year that's gone on, um, no handbook, and no politician has one, and I'm sure every politician would have loved to have one. Um, taking a look back at 2021, how would you assess it overall in terms of your government's response to COVID-19? Well, look, our, our, we've done our best, like other governments, navigating an incredibly difficult situation without a textbook and through trial and error. And we've made mistakes. I've uh, rec- I acknowledged that and took responsibility. We were too quick to declare endemic status in the summer. Uh, and to, we were too optimistic that we could uh, move past COVID with about 75% vaccination in the in the summer. Um, at, at the same time, you know, I, I, my explanation is, is, Jay, I was, was as I remain, deeply concerned about the morale of people, the mental and, and emotional well-being after 22 months of this. And so, yeah, we erred on the side of optimism. That was still an error. But I think overall, I, I also want to point to uh, the positive story as we emerge as Albertans from five tough economic years. Um, our economy still has not quite fully recovered to where it was in terms of the size of our GDP back at the end of 2014, if you can believe it. Yet we're almost there. We have been leading Canada in economic growth in 2021, uh, second only to BC in job growth, 118,000 net new jobs so far. And we're headed into uh, the next, in the new year, with a lot of momentum. It's not just oil and gas prices, it's film and television, tech and startups, it's uh, forestry and ag. It's uh, re- hydrogen and and petro- petrochemicals. It's right across the economy, and I'm excited about uh, what the new year holds for our economy. Um, you're right. There's a lot of very positive indicators uh, on the economic front in in the province, and as you say, there, it's fairly diverse. But I mean, of course, oil prices are still the the straw that stirs the drink in these parts. Um, <laughs> prices have come back very very well. How confident are you they're going to stay there? It seems like there's so much uncertainty surrounding everything in the world right now. Yeah. Well, I do think that fundamentally we're going to see strong oil and gas com- and commodity prices uh, for the next couple of years. That's w- that's a very strong consensus. And it's because there's been a lack of investment in ex- exploration and development. Uh, U.S. shale got really knocked hard in, in COVID. It was uneconomic to begin with. So this means there's a growing global scarcity of energy. And, and the world will fully recover from COVID. I think in 2022, we're looking at probably 105 million barrels a day of demand of oil and a significant supply shortage. So, and OPEC has an interest in keeping the prices up. So I think we can expect to see pretty strong prices that will drive more capital investment and job creation um, in that critical part of Alberta's economy. Um, being Alberta, uh, we know that there's some issues that we've faced in terms of not only around the world, but within our own country. And you've had the uh, standing up for Alberta and fighting for Alberta policy. Uh, that's what you campaigned on and that's what you got elected on and you carried through uh, uh, the first three years of this term. How would you assess the successfulness of this approach where quite often it pits you um, against Justin Trudeau and the Liberal government of Ottawa sort of as your foil? Well, look, that's not theatre. Albertans want a provincial government that will unapologetically defend our vital economic interests, and particularly against a federal government that killed uh, pipelines and has uh, imposed policies that, that attack, uh, that single out Alberta, build, you know, the tanker ban on the export of energy off the North BC coast, or the, the killing of Northern Gateway and, and, and Energy East. So people want a government that will stand up, but also fight for fairness, uh, we are underrepresented in the House of Commons. Our elected senators are not being appointed. Our uh, equalization and federal transfers give us the short end of the stick. But at the same, so we, we continue to fight for fairness on all of those fronts. But at the same time, uh, Shay, we've tried to be constructive where we can. And, uh, you know, we got important agreements with Ottawa on the regulation of uh, industrial CO2 emissions, on methane regulations, on the uh, uh, woodland caribou habitat. I know those sound like kind of maybe to some people, technical or boring issues, but they are a big deal. Those are multi-billion dollar issues for our economy. So I think we've proven that we're able to be pragmatic on the one track, but also um, resolute in fighting for our interests when it comes to standing up to policies like the No More Pipelines law. Um, In terms of that sort of, I mean, it's an ongoing um, 
position that we've had in our province in terms of trying to you know fight for a better deal yeah. with Ottawa. Um, I'm just wondering in terms of the the political climate that we're living in right now, and I don't I mean it's certainly not uniquely Albertan, Canadian, even North American. I think it's around the, around the world. Are you surprised by how divisive and intense the polarization and the partisanship is right now? Yeah, I am. I, I for sure. Uh, and I think COVID has just kind of fueled that. Yeah. Uh, I, I'll be honest, to make one political point. I, I regret that here in Alberta, uh, the op, the NDP opposition was the only opposition I think in the country from the very beginning of COVID that seemed to embrace it as a opportunity for division and, and attack as opposed to social cohesion and coming together. Look, I, I don't. They've got a job to do. That's fine. I don't mind getting criticized by the opposition, but I think, I think other oppositions try to take a slightly more constructive approach. At the same time, there's been an incredible polarization uh, across the around the world, and it's I think it's, uh, more in Alberta than the rest of Canada um, on COVID policy. And and I regret it. I, I've. You know, on the one hand, we have a very large number of people who um, I think people who typically are able to stay at home comfortably, who uh, have been pro-lockdown. And on the other side of the spectrum, a pretty large number of people who have been opposed to almost any COVID restrictions or policies, and at the extreme side, who are rapidly anti-vaccine. And it, it, unfortunately, these two uh, extremes have been screaming at each other and at the government rather than listening. Uh, I, and I think it's been, it's been frustrating for people in the broad middle who know that there are no easy choices here, um, who don't like the damaging effects of restrictions, but know, know that sometimes they're necessary. And at the end of the day, I, I guess that's the broad middle that the government has to speak to. Yeah, I think you're right. And, I think, and as you say, it's, it's very difficult. Um, speaking of how intense and dug in and entrenched it became, obviously it affected your party personally. We saw a number of you know um, MLAs in your own caucus speaking out against some of the decisions that you made. Mm-hmm. Um, that internal division, you're heading into a leadership review early next year. Um, you went through the AGM where you said you felt more confident about your leadership than you ever had before. Um, how do you feel heading into that leadership review uh, early this spring? Well, I feel pretty confident. We came out of a, a very strong conservative convention uh, a few weeks ago uh, where I got, I thought, an incredibly positive response from our grassroots members. Look, it's been a tough time for every government. Uh, it's been a tough time especially to be a conservative in government. You know, conservatives, uh, are, we believe in personal freedom. We are skeptical about government overreach, and yet we've had to do some things that we're not, not naturally wired to do in COVID to prevent a total catastrophe in our health care system. And that those, those decisions have, um, frankly, upset a, a lot of our traditional supporters, some of our members, and, and as you say, even some people in, in our caucus. I respect um, the diversity of opinions, but the government has to lead and make the tough calls. That's what we've done. Ultimately, the members will, will decide. Uh, and I, I'm, you know, <laughs> I've got to stay focused, though, on my job, Jay, at this time. And this is the message I keep conveying to, to my caucus, which is I, don't, I cannot have the luxury of running around uh, being engaged in internal party politics in responding to every lob that's fired at me. I've got to stay focused on the job, which is getting us through what's left of of COVID and uh, economic recovery, um, and, and I'll let the chips fall where they may. Is that message received by some of the detractors and some of your, I guess, internal opponents? Do they do they seem to have some understanding of the fact that we'd all be better served, and, and indeed the UCP as a whole might be better served? Well, I think so because you know you you guys in the media have had uh, <laughs> uh, some moments where you were expecting a, a, a big, uh, a, you know, a, a huge divisive fight in our party that never happened. I mean, where there was supposed to be a caucus meeting where people walked out and said we're united, there was supposed to be a, a big demonstration at our convention never happened. I got 12 standing ovations from our membership, uh, including when I defended the necessity of COVID policies. So I'm not saying that, that everything is uh, uh, with, a, like the, that we have a, a perfectly harmonious uh, a party or, or, or caucus at all times. Uh, there are strongly held views, but, uh, and that's fine. But I do think most people understand that, we're, that the public expects us to govern to make the tough calls, and that's what we've been doing. Uh, it's no surprise. I mean, you've seen the polling numbers showing that you're under pressure and the fundraising numbers. You've got a little over a year now. Is that enough time to get through COVID, unite the party, and turn things around? How much pressure do you feel to see some progress in that area as soon as possible? 
Well, there's 16 months before the next election. They say a week is an eternity in politics, so 16 months is several eternities. I would say this, Shay, that um, we were elected uh, to create jobs, grow the economy, and get pipelines built. Well, we're now leading Canada in economic growth uh, and job creation. Uh, one pipeline has been built, and I think we're going to see two more done. Um, we were also elected to stand up and fight for Alberta. We've been doing that on every front. And we were elected on a very ambitious uh, reform agenda, our platform. We've already implemented about 85% of those commitments. So uh, I'll be able to look Albertans in the eye at the next election and say that we did what we said we would do, uh, especially on jobs and the economy. And I think that's what most people will be voting on. Last one, I'm going to let you go, Premier. Um, I've said many times on the air that, you know, even as I'm being critical of some of the things you, you and your government have done, I've said, you know what, um, boy, am I ever glad I'm not the one having to make these decisions, <laughs> because holy, it's easy to sit here and criticize, um, but this pandemic, I mean, you want to talk about extraordinary circumstances. Personally, how has it been? How hard has it been? How many sleepless nights? How many, yeah. you know, just gut-wrenching decisions? What's it been like for you, Jason? Uh, it's been... Um, as you say, gut-wrenching. It's been, at times, um, surreal. I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I just sometimes I can't believe the, the sorts of decisions that we have to make. And it, um, uh, there have been times of, of, of drama, uh, of like dr- dr- dramatic moments where we, we didn't know how far this virus was going to challenge our hospitals, um, how many lives it would take. And it's very real, uh, Shay, because here we're, we're not dealing with abstractions or political rhetoric or all that usual nonsense. We are dealing here with, uh, with real lives and with real consequences um, in every decision we make one way or another. So it has been incredibly tough. But it's not, you know, I, that's not to say I'm in a pity party here because everybody in a position of leadership said to go through that. And the folks we should really be grateful for at the end of this year um, who have been living under much greater stress are the uh, the frontline healthcare workers who have put in amazing hours uh, and have um, have done so much to uh, to protect lives. I just want to to say that those are the folks I, I I'm thinking about about when it comes to the difficulty of COVID. Uh, Premier, thank you so much for your time, and I think we can all agree, no matter what partisan stripe, uh, we're all hoping for a calmer, more peaceful, and prosperous 2022. As our Jewish friends say, from your lips to God's ears. Thanks so much, Shay. <laughs> Thanks, Premier. To begin with, I'd like to express my sincere appreciation to the frontline staff in Alberta's healthcare system, including nurses, doctors, and other workers who have continued to care for patients through the holidays. I also want to recognize the collective efforts of Albertans who, once again, are doing their part to reduce the spread of COVID-19 during the holiday season. I know the significant growth in the Omicron variant may make it seem like these efforts are not effective. I want to be clear that they are essential. They're preventing our numbers from being even higher and they're reducing the impact on our health system when it comes because it will come the only question is by how much but by following the public health measures holding smaller smaller gatherings and staying home when you're sick you continue to help protect our healthcare system and each other and i thank you as i've said before we're taking a balanced approach to public health measures to protect albertans and prevent our healthcare facilities from being overwhelmed This includes preparing for what's coming next to Alberta based on what we're seeing in other places. One aspect of these efforts is reducing the duration of isolation requirements for people who are vaccinated. Effective Monday, January the 3rd, people who have previously received at least two doses of vaccines and test positive for COVID will be required to isolate for five days instead of 10, as long as their symptoms have fully resolved by that time. If symptoms continue past five days, then their isolation will need to continue until they are feeling better. For the five days following their isolation, these individuals must wear a mask around others at all times when they're outside their home. We feel this is prudent given the evidence that shows that fully immunized people have shorter infectious periods. This change is also in line with the approach Ontario and other provinces are taking and with the latest guidelines from the CDC in the United States. To be clear, 
Anyone who has symptoms must isolate until those symptoms resolve, vaccinated or not, confirmed to have COVID or not. As well, anyone who is unvaccinated must still isolate for 10 days. If your symptoms last longer than 10 days, you must continue to isolate until your symptoms are gone. We're making these changes to help prevent disruptions in Alberta's workforce, especially for those who deliver the services Albertans count on. We believe this step will help balance the need for continuity in the workforce, the well-being of Albertans, and our need to continue to reduce the spread of the Omicron variant. We're providing an exception for workplaces where disruption of service for 24 hours or more would be harmful to the public and where there is no other way to continue the service except by bringing workers back before their isolation period has ended. In these exceptional circumstances, additional health public health measures will be required. For example, returning workers would not be allowed to remove their masks when in the same room as anyone else at any time, even if they're distanced. Now, this measure to manage through Omicron is in addition to a number of measures we announced yesterday. As noted by my colleague, the Minister of Education, we decided on extended holiday break for kindergarten to grade 12 students. This announcement included 8.6 million rapid tests and 16.5 million medical grade masks going to our students and staff starting the week of January the 10th. We've also taken a step I announced just yesterday to improve access to virtual visits to physicians. I am pleased that we were able to work together with the AMA to make this change. We know that many people have avoided getting treatment they need during the pandemic due to being uncomfortable going to a doctor's office or hospital. And certainly the Omicron variant is not helping the situation. So we're adjusting how physicians can bill for virtual care to improve access while we reduce the chances for the virus to spread. We'll continue to respond with caution, balancing safety with the need for businesses and communities to function. And these changes are in addition, in addition to the recent changes to the restriction exemption program and other actions that we took last week, including reducing large gatherings and removing food and drink consumption, limiting interactive activities like dancing, decreasing table capacity, and putting time limits on alcohol service. We're keeping the health measures already in place for gatherings along with masking requirements and expanding the rollout of booster shots and rapid tests. And we'll continue to watch the situation closely and we'll take further action if necessary to protect the healthcare system. So as we mark New Year's Eve tonight, I remind Albertans to continue to please to try to cut your contacts with others by at least 50%. I know this is not the New Year's celebration or the start to the New Year's that any of us wanted, but it's a balanced approach that will help us protect our healthcare system and each other. 2022 brings hope that the end of the pandemic is finally in sight when we get through the Omicron wave and every Albertan who gets vaccinated is helping to bring it closer. If you haven't received your booster shot, please book your appointment today. Booster shots are available to all Albertans age 18 and older, starting five months from your second dose. You can book your booster with participating pharmacies and AHS facilities, either online at alberta.ca or by dialing 811. Again, I'd like to thank Albertans who have done so much this holiday season by keeping your contacts limited and following the public health measures. And I ask you to please continue to keep doing your part as you celebrate New Year's Eve tonight. Together, we can reduce the spread of COVID and keep each other safe and healthy. Thank you. And now I'd like to turn it over to Dr. Hinshaw for some remarks. I'd like to begin today's update with a reminder that we do not have new data available today. As I said last week, we have adjusted our reporting over the holidays as a way to give our teams some much needed time off while still providing two media availabilities and case numbers three times this week to keep Albertans informed. Other provinces have also reduced reporting or are following a similar holiday schedule. It has, of course, been a very long two years for everyone. A full numbers update for December 23rd to 28th was posted online Wednesday and estimates were provided yesterday afternoon. We will resume regular reporting, including a day-by-day -day breakdown for today to January 3rd on Tuesday. As of yesterday, 
We had about 21,000 active cases of COVID-19 in the province that we know about. As has been true throughout the pandemic, the total number of new and active cases in the province is greater than those figures. And this has been further changed by our necessary recent adjustments to testing protocols, similar to other provinces coping with extraordinary volumes of cases. This isn't new. From the beginning of the pandemic, daily numbers have only given us a snapshot of the situation. They've shown us proportionality and trends, what areas of the province are experiencing surges in cases, for example. This information provides evidence that has allowed us to make and measure decisions, but daily case numbers have never been an exact count. They have never included those Albertans who choose not to get tested because their symptoms are so mild or because they're non-existent and they're not aware they have the virus. In previous waves of the pandemic, we believe our PCR testing program captured about one in four cases of COVID-19. In the fourth wave, that changed to about one in six. As more individuals who are symptomatic or have been exposed to the virus test themselves at home with rapid antigen tests, that ratio is dropping even more with the Omicron variant. Fortunately, we have additional monitoring tools to help us gauge the level of transmission, including leading indicators like wastewater surveillance and syndromic surveillance, and lagging indicators such as serology sampling. In addition, we are still able to monitor severe outcomes due to COVID-19 with no change. We have also had real-time data emerging from around the world as other countries and other provinces are experiencing the Omicron variant in several weeks ahead of us. As we adjust our testing approach, it is important to remember why we do testing in the first place. Testing for infectious diseases has several purposes. First and most importantly, it helps plan treatments for those who are infected. And for this reason, we must ensure that PCR testing is accessed promptly by those who need it for clinical care. Second, it helps to identify and manage outbreaks in high-risk settings where infections are most likely to cause severe outcomes, like acute care and continuing care. We must maintain timely access to testing in those locations as well. Third, testing helps us with surveillance and monitoring, which does not require diagnosis of all cases. We have been testing more broadly for COVID-19 than for any other infection we have ever dealt with, but this was primarily due to the initial pandemic response goal of containing spread of the virus by individual case and contact efforts. We do not need to document the majority of cases in order to have an effective surveillance system, and we are adjusting to the new testing approach. Finally, as I mentioned, the fourth reason for broad testing was most applicable early in the pandemic when managing spread of the virus by identifying as many cases as possible and their contacts was one of nope, the only ways order. we had to minimize COVID's Just impact. <laughs> We're in a very different Just place right now with respect to COVID. We have vaccines that are extremely effective at preventing severe outcomes. And we are currently facing a variant that is so infectious and spreads so quickly that individual case and contact management yeah, will not I mean, be effective. We must use proactive approaches rather than reactive ones. We will continue to watch I'm all sure of our metrics can, to help yeah, get a well-rounded so view of Omicron in the coming go. days and weeks. We come back after While we continue to learn know. more about this variant, what we do know is that Omicron is spreading far more quickly than any variant we have ever experienced. With more people being infected and in a very short time, that poses a significant potential threat to our healthcare system. Even though it seems that a smaller percentage of cases are requiring acute care, we can expect that with a greater number of people infected, that will soon translate into a greater number of people in hospital. How high these numbers will get is still not known. We've had the benefit of seeing the variant play out in other countries first. What we can learn from them is that while two doses of vaccines still provide good protection against severe outcomes, a third dose improves even more. In addition, a third dose provides much better protection against infection. In countries like the UK and Denmark, where Omicron is spreading widely, their early reports of health system impact indicate that hospital and ICU admissions are not rising as quickly as in previous waves. This is encouraging, but not conclusive. 
It is still too early to know the full impact of Omicron, even in those other countries. It's also important to note that in both of those countries, their booster program has reached more than 40% of their population, while we are still around 20%. I urge everyone to get their third dose as soon as possible with whatever vaccine is available to you. I want to speak specifically about the Moderna vaccine and mixing different vaccine types. Data from the UK show that in those with a primary series of Pfizer vaccine, having a Moderna booster resulted in higher and longer levels of protect, longer lasting levels of protection than a Pfizer booster. I'm hearing reports that some people wish to wait for Pfizer to be available. And while I understand a wish to have the same vaccine, we do not have enough Pfizer right now for people to pick this vaccine and get a timely third dose. Please take the vaccine that is available to you soonest. For those who are under 30, there is a slightly increased risk of myocarditis with a second dose of Moderna over Pfizer. We don't yet know if this will hold for the third dose. So while it is recommended that Pfizer can be the third dose option for those under 30, if individuals wish to choose Moderna, they are able to do so. If you get Moderna, you can be confident that this booster is giving you the best protection available. Getting every dose of vaccine you are eligible for is an important way to slow the growth of Omicron and to mitigate the risk to our healthcare system and to Albertans. It is also critically important to limit in-person contact with others and follow all measures currently in place. I say this knowing that today is New Year's Eve and tonight and over the weekend, many people are planning to gather with family and friends to ring in what we hope will be a much better year. I know we are all so tired of COVID. Many of us hope that last New Year's Eve would be the last celebration we would have to put on hold because of the virus. Unfortunately, COVID doesn't care about our celebrations and it doesn't care that we miss getting together with family and friends. Our best defense right now is to keep our social interactions small because wherever COVID has the chance to spread, it will. We need to limit our gatherings or postpone them altogether. I know this is difficult. This year, restrictions do allow for us to go out with friends or gather indoors to celebrate the new year, but they require us to do so in a limited way. If going out to a restaurant or party in a hall or other venue, all restrictions must be followed. Please keep groups small, wear your mask when you're not at a table and when you're not eating and drinking, and very importantly, if you feel even slightly ill, please stay home. If you're going to an indoor social gathering or if you're hosting one yourself, please keep it small, 10 people maximum and the fewer the better. Ask any guests to stay home if they're feeling ill. And if you're feeling ill yourself, please cancel the gathering. I know that living in Alberta can make it difficult to celebrate outside in the winter. And we've been reminded of this over the past several days, but it looks like the forecast for this weekend may be cooperating with milder temperatures. So if you're able to celebrate New Year's Day outdoors, please do so. You may even find it a welcome relief from being cooped up indoors over the last week or so. Wherever you go and whatever you do, you should anticipate that one or more people present in any location will likely be infectious with Omicron, even if they don't have symptoms. Make decisions and take precautions based on that assumption and the knowledge that action now is critical to preserving our healthcare system in the coming month. Even though this is not the way any of us want to celebrate the new year, there is still hope. Over the last year, Albertans have demonstrated their strength and resilience and determination to end this pandemic. Most of us have gotten two doses of vaccine and many are now getting the booster. Children five to 11 now have vaccine available to them and are getting their first doses with second doses coming soon. That commitment to doing the right thing is what gives me hope for the year ahead. We must continue to do what's right for us and for our communities to work together so we can truly enjoy a start to a brand new year. Thank you and we're happy to take questions. Thanks, Dr. Hinshaw and Minister Copping in Calgary. Uh, we'll go to the phones right away, but a reminder first, if we don't get to you, uh, you can follow up with us separately uh, offline as always. So uh, we'll go to the phones. First caller, please. Thank you. First question.
question is from Emma Graney, Globe and Mail. Yeah, g'day, Dr. Hingshaw. I'm Minister Copping. Uh, thanks for taking my question. Happy New Year to you both. Um, first question here on the shorter isolation period. Um, are we just talking healthcare workers here, or are we talking other workers that would be essential, such as energy, grocery store, and, and those kinds of things? And did you, like, hear from businesses to make that decision, or how did that come about? So I, I can start off to answer the question, maybe Dr. Angela, you can add. So again, we're providing flexibility for, uh, first, the, the, the 10 days to the five days applies generally. We are, applying, uh, we are providing additional flexibility uh, for certain employers who are providing essential services and they can't uh, they and they can't replace an individual who perhaps within that isolation period can't do you can't be able to provide the service uh, the flexibility but they actually have to put other measures in in place to do that and it's really important for essential services and we're are asking employers to take a look at that as well as so they'll they'll make the decision based on essential services and guidance with the CMOH uh, but as well they'll need to put additional measures in place but Dr. Hinshaw if you'd like to elaborate on that please Sure. Thanks, Minister Copping. Uh, so as you said, the change to a five-day isolation period for fully immunized individuals, as long as symptoms have resolved by five days, is applicable across the entire province for anyone. Uh, so that change is based on the evidence that those who are fully immunized shed virus for a shorter amount of time if they have a breakthrough infection, as well as the analysis that shows that if we can have more people complying with that isolation period, that that, and we know that shorter isolation periods are easier to comply with than longer ones. So the more people who comply with that isolation period, uh, the better off we'll be and that that can actually have a, an overall improved effect on limiting spread. The second piece is, of course, the uh, discretionary approach that is limited only to those in industries or uh, services where disruption of that service causes a significant public health impact. Uh, so that could be something like a water treatment plant, it could be healthcare, it could be another service or, or location where a disruption could, uh, again, significantly impair public health or safety. Those exceptions we anticipate will be less likely to be needed given the universal five-day isolation period. However, there could be instances where a particular critical service uh, does need to bring some people back earlier than that time period. And if so, again, there will be very specific rules laid out for additional precautions and what kinds of criteria that those businesses will have to meet. And all of that detail will be available on Monday. Dr. Dina Hinshaw going through some of the details around the changes in isolation in our province. Basically, bottom line, goes from 10 days to 5 days for a positive test if you're double vaccinated. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favourite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.